Bonjour, welcome back to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, back from la beautiful France. <laughs> it was a, such a beautiful vacation. Uh, but I'm also really happy to be back at the microphone, bringing you shows on a weekly basis again. It's time to get to work, ladies and gentlemen. And the fact that I'm able to do this work is thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. It's a wonderful community, not just a community of financial supporters, but also a community of supporters of my mission, of the ideas that I'm sharing. Also gives me a lot of input via the Discord server. Uh, if you become a patron, you'll get access to that too. It's a really great community that inspires me and motivates me on so many different levels. So thank you if you are a supporter. Um... I, so I came back from France, uh, had a, a really nice vacation, maybe one of the best uh, since since years, and it was it was relaxed. We were in a beautiful region. If you follow me on social media, you may have seen the photos. Um, I have such fond memories of that area. It was in the Auvergne, which is a beautiful kind of volcanic area. Well, none of those volcanoes are are uh, awake anymore, but the landscape is very. Um, different from other parts of, of France. So lots of hills, which I definitely noticed when I was doing my marathon training. As you know, I've been training for uh, the Marathon of Rotterdam, which is going to hopefully take place at the end of October. It's still uncertain, although the signs are good, are positive. Um, we have uh, a lot of the people in my country that have been vaccinated. Um, and so the numbers look all right. And apparently tomorrow i think tomorrow i'm recording this on a monday tomorrow evening we'll get more information from our government as to whether they will um, uh, maintain certain mandates like the obligation to wear a mask in in public transport um, there's probably going to be like this um, obligation to show your vaccination uh, proof of vaccination or proof of a uh, negative COVID test if you want to enter, for instance, bars or restaurants or go to certain events. Um, but the the obligation to keep your distance is going to probably be lifted. And that is, of course, very good news for the Marathon of Rotterdam uh, because it's very it's impossible to do a marathon if you have to keep, uh, what is it, a meter and a half of distance between you and all the other runners. This is an event that will attract thousands and thousands of runners. But if I would be totally okay if they just ask everyone who's running to show their vaccination, uh, their proof of vaccination. We have an app for that. And what, when I was in France, that was kind of the norm. And it, at first, it's a little bit disconcerting. You're like, well, wow. So I just want to get a, a cup of coffee and I have to show this app on my phone. But after two days, you're totally used to it. And, it, and you don't even really give it a second thought and it for me it gave me the actual kind of reassurance that i if I, I enter a restaurant for instance um i know that everyone who is there is safe uh well safe of course you know not not entirely certain that you don't carry the virus with you but it's it's definitely a lot more feels more secure than than walking around and you don't know if it's the people that are next to you breathing in your neck uh are carriers or not or have been infected or not so um i have high hopes that uh, the marathon will go through i'm ready for it I've been so I've been training in the mountains of the Auvergne and man those first days were hard because I have no training well a little bit of training in uh, on 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 hilly in hi hilly landscape because here in Wageningen where I'm currently staying there are quite a few hills they they date back to the ice ages uh, yes we had ice ice times or ice ages here in the Netherlands too um, but it's nothing compared to friends well I, I asked the villagers of the the town where we were staying uh so do you have like is there a road nearby where it's flat because i gotta run 30 kilometers and with these hills it's so hard and they were looking at me like um you're probably from holland no <laughs> this is france there is no there is no flat uh, itinerary for you anywhere however i pushed through so i did it was very very hard but at, at the end of those two weeks, I could totally tell the difference. And most of the hills didn't really pose a, a, a problem anymore. 
And what's even better, when I came back here and I did my training, all of a sudden I noticed that I skimmed off like 30 to 45 seconds per kilometer, which is insane. I've never, I'm able to run. Like the other day, I did a run, this morning I did a 20 kilometer run. Um, and I was actually going slow. For, it felt like this is relaxed. This is not my race tempo. And yet I did six, one kilometer in six minutes, which I've never run this fast, not even in a race. So I was, I was aiming for, um, what is it? Yeah, around, around 6.10, I think, per, per kilometer. Um, so I can easily do that. And I think it is the fruit of all that running in France. So I couldn't be happier. Um, also, lots of stories to tell. What a wonderful uh, 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 countryside they have there. Lots and lots of ancient churches. I've, I've been filming quite a bit there. And there is ample material to return. Um, a local priest, not in the town where I was, but because there, there's one priest who has, believe it or not, 37 churches. One priest, I think he must be in his 60s somewhere, 65, and he's got 37 churches to take care of. Uh, now, some of these churches are really in the middle of nowhere, and there may be just one old lady who take, still takes care of the church because the buildings are maintained by the government. That's the big difference with many other countries. But still, it is his responsibility to go there from time to time and make sure that those churches stay open. Um, but he told me that the diocese actually, or his diocese, has a number of houses uh, where if you are a priest and you want to just stay there, you, you just call the, the diocesan people and they will give you the key. And I was like... Oh, I'm going to take you up on that. That sounds like a great, great thing to do every once in a while. To just, of course, it's it's quite far. It is more than ten hours by car. But you know, if you do if you do five hours and then uh, stay overnight in one of the cities of, of France and then continue, it's not that bad. And uh, once you're there, life is super cheap. And I was surprised, actually, that that's how... I've, I haven't been in France for, for a number of years. Uh, before, it was always pretty expensive in France. Now we went to the supermarket, and I'm like, I do all my groceries myself. So I was like, whoa, that is much cheaper, and that is cheaper, and that is cheaper. So the, the overall level of uh, expenses is actually very, very reasonable. So I'm, I'm just thinking a lot about maybe I can do a series. What I would like to do... There's a little glimpse for... Normally, this is something I would share mostly with my patrons, but I'm thinking of, of doing a series where I tell the stories of all these miracles that have happened in various places. Now, not because of sensation or, or whatever, but because most of the time those, those miracles have a certain meaning. Um, I'll talk about this a little bit more. Uh, I'll give you an example later on in the show in the Peculiar Bunch segment, how a, 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 a an old medieval miracle can still have a very relevant story and message for today. Um, so that's the kind of stories that I would love to, to tell by traveling through the French countryside. But um, that's not for now. I still have a lot of TV work to do. I've got my podcast. We're working on a... Uh, a children's series, uh, so I've got my plate more than full. Plus, of course, I gotta move into my new home. We have to uh, renovate. Well, the renovation is almost over, but I still have to make sure that it comes my home. And now it's just empty, empty rooms. So there is still a lot on my plate, but it's always nice to have something to look forward to. Uh, I want to thank. Be Stoker in the chat room of YouTube for uh, the the super chat. The super chat is what the, when people are in the chat room they can actually give you a small donation. Um, and and so thank you so much for that. It's little encouragements to keep on going. And and that's what I that's what I do. All right, let's move over to the news. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So, 
I don't know what the situation is in your country. I've told you a little bit about the COVID situation over here. It is getting better. We're not there yet, and the numbers are still relatively high. So it's always possible that even though we may get some relaxation on certain rules, that they'll have to dial it back later on. But so far, so good. Um, I hear different stories from other countries. I, I noticed that in certain parts of the United States, the situation, especially in hospitals, is still very dire. Um, also, I've got a lot of friends in Australia and New Zealand. And of course, they had a uh, from the get-go, actually, a quite nice situation. Because it's, you can just lock the country. Like New Zealand, it's, it's an island or two islands. And you can just say, well, we'll just keep everyone outside, and then whenever we have one or two uh, infections, we'll just do a lockdown until it's over. But apparently with the Delta variant, that's no longer a, a good strategy, or it's not working anymore, so they are trying to catch up now with inoculations. Fortunately, even though it's a, a pretty big country, uh, the number of inhabitants is just a fraction of the people that live in the Netherlands. So we could do it, you can do it too. Um, and, and for my... Part, I, I really hope that Australia and New Zealand will soon have um, uh, the situation under control because I want to go back there. I miss you. I want I want to just go visit Australia and, and New Zealand again. It's been, what is it, seven, eight years since I last uh, was there. I, I Facebook reminds me of those wonderful times I spent there every year around this time because... I get these photos. You could remember a few years ago, you were just standing on top of this mountain and you, you looked at Middle Earth. And I, well, right now, traveling is, is not really possible, viable. I do hope, by the way, to travel to Rome soon. Um, in a few weeks' time, I'm going to celebrate the fact that I've been a priest uh, for 25 years. So that is quite something. I... I, I where where did the time go? I don't remember how I got here. Um, feels like just a few years ago that I was ordained, but it was actually um, uh, twenty five years ago um, on the the weekend after the day uh, itself. I'll be running the Marathon of Rotterdam. So that's not going to be the most ideal circumstances under which I can celebrate that fact. But right after that, I want to go to Rome with uh, Father Henry uh, because we've been ordained on the same day. Uh, and and we're going to go back to, well, the place where we both studied and we have fond memories there. And that, I think, is going to be a wonderful occasion to mark this jubilee. Even though, you know, normally I'm not the anniversary guy i don't really what matters is not the jubilee the what matters is that for 25 years i've been trying to be a good priest and i i, I enjoy what i do i love uh the 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 life that god gave me um and that's what i want to celebrate the date it's almost irrelevant it what i what i love is the quality of <laughs> of uh, my life as a priest that i want to be grateful for that i am grateful for and this this path has taken me in directions that I never thought possible when, when I was ordained 25 years ago. So I will be going to Rome. I do have to do some work there. So I've started a, a small vlog series or series of vlogs about uh, Rome for the TV station. Um, and I have mat I have old material that I can use for that, but it's just for s about seven episodes, or I've got seven topics. Um, so I'll still need to produce eight more segments, but that's going to be okay. And maybe I'm also going to film a Christmas episode there because, uh, well, it's possible that I'll have to produce a, a Christmas-themed TV show. Um, so, well, why not do that in Rome? Uh, but I'll keep you informed, of course, and uh, I will somehow try to bring you along <laughs> if I can. So uh, that's all coming up soon. But, of course, that is just very close by. I, I, I just miss traveling and filming in, in other countries as well. And I have plenty of ideas. So um, in the last quarter of the year... I do hope to bring you my first English documentary. Um, and then in I, another thing that I hope, because most of the TV work is now done, 
I hope that I'll be able to also start filming the first new documentary. So the documentary that the English, first in English production has already been filmed. Uh, in fact, it was two years ago that we filmed that. Wow. That's what, with COVID, where does a year go? But I never showed you what we filmed and we did an entire production in two languages. So one for Dutch TV and then we did separate uh, filming for an English production. However, because of COVID, we were unable to uh, to produce it uh, until now. So you'll get to see that soon. I'll keep stay tuned, and I'll, I'll, you'll you'll get you'll get to know what it's about. Um, but hopefully, that will be also the beginning of kind of the new the new strategy that our strategy. What I w- would like to aim for um, once once I'm in my new home and things are settling down is to go for one English or international production per season. So I would like to do a fall documentary, a winter documentary, spring and summer. That's four full-fledged productions in a year. That's a lot, actually, uh, because those will be usually uh, about an hour and a half long, maybe even a bit longer. So we're talking real documentaries. Um it's going to be a challenge, but I like a good challenge. And I'm eager to share with you uh, more of the world from my point of view. I've done that with audio for years with the Catholic Insider, if you remember that. Those were audio documentaries. Now I get to do the same thing with a medium that I love just as much as I love audio. And that is, uh, that is video. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So the rain in uh, the chat is asking, how is your reading of The Wheel of Time going so far? And how about that trailer? Well, that is exactly what I wanted to talk about right now at the start of this movie and TV segment. Because, well, first of all, my reading is going well. I finished the third book. And, well, that may seem not much, but every book is about six, 700 pages. Um, and, uh, well, it's, uh, it's not an easy read. Um, it's it's very uh, verbose at certain points, and the story is not always going as fast as I would like it. But it is a thrilling story, and uh, it's it's um, definitely now going into a direction that is less Tolkien and more Wheel of Time, more Robert Jordan. So uh, I'm enjoying how everything is evolving, and it is definitely. Uh, it keeps me reading. However, I was super happy that the first trailer for the new Amazon Prime series that is based on the entire saga of the Wheel of Time uh, was shown to us, and it has reassured almost all Wheel of Time fans because it 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 feels that they truly did did justice to the books, to the visual world that Robert Jordan uh, conjures up, and. I think the casting is really well done. A lot of these characters do resemble the mental image that I had. Um, and also visually, it, it looks like a really um, a beautiful production with, with, with great special effects. And th- th- I mean, this is high fantasy. So it requires a lot of effort to, to visualize what you, what you can describe with words very easily. But how do you visualize it? How do you create a world that is... In, in, in one way, very much like the world we know and we live in, but at the same time, it's so broad. It's like you have to create something like Middle-earth. Um, and the difference with The Lord of the Rings is The Lord of the Rings takes place in usually in a lot of natural environments. There's a lot of traveling in the mountains, and the countryside, and, and every once in a while, you need to create something like Rivendell, which you can't really find anywhere <laughs> on this planet or on in this version, in this Earth. Um, so that were, but the the world of Wheel of Time, like there are there's there are a lot of cities, there are a lot of towns, there's a lot of stuff that you need to visualize, and that you just can't go on location for it. Sure, you can go to certain parts of the world, and they've been filming in in parts of Europe uh, for for the overall setting, but you you still have to complete it with visual effects to make it 
as big as as described in the books. And from the looks of it, they did a pretty good job. And it it it, it looks like something on on the level of uh, you know what Peter Jackson did with Lord of the Rings. And this story requires it because it's you know in terms of the the amplitude of this world and the ambition of the writer, it definitely rivals what Tolkien did for Middle-earth. It is a different genre. It's not the same story. Um, and yet there are many similarities in terms of the quality of world building. So it's looking good and I'm enjoying it and I hope to welcome a lot of new Wheel of Time fans. It's funny that for the real fans of Wheel of Time, I'm considered uh, to be like a recruit. People were reacting on, on YouTube. I did a, a reaction video and they're like, oh, you're so welcome. And oh, you have so many books to discover. I wish I could go back in time and, 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 and experience what you experienced. And I'm like, but I've already read more than 2,500 pages and, I, and I'm still a novice? Dude, oh, I still got a long way to go. But it is a nice, I like the fan base around Wheel of Time. It's a, it's a really, it's not toxic and that's rare nowadays. There's almost every big franchise has so much polarization. And I think it's a reflection of just the world or our societies right now where everything seems to be polarized. But I always feel a bit of pain in my heart when I see that my own, you know, Star Wars franchise, for, in for instance, is, is constantly polluted by these political debates and uh, all the hatred and, and people that are unhappy about this or that. And and I'm just thinking, where are the times that you you, you were a happy a happy Star Wars fan was almost unnecessary to specify a Star Wars fan was always a happy Star Wars fan, and you were unhappy if you were not a Star Wars fan or if you didn't know the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars. That's that would be upsetting, not Star Wars itself. And now it's like all these almost religious wars fought about details or whether or not something is what people expect or not. That's what I like about Wheel of Time. It's a very friendly community. Hope, hopefully it will stay like that. Of course, these are not movies. This is a TV series. So um, that may also have an impact on how the fan base is reacting. Um Speaking of, of franchises, uh, The Matrix, of course, um, is going to have a fourth movie. Uh, I also recorded a reaction video, which was a, a quite a, a challenge because I knew this is a Warner. Uh, this is distributed by Warner Brothers. Now, when you do a reaction video, of course, I'm reacting to something that is copyright. I use the sound and the visuals from the trailer, and of course, none of that is is my copyright. I'm just reacting to it. However, Lucasfilm and a lot of other um, uh, publishers know that they need these reactions for the hype, right? So they usually release their copyright claims on videos, on reaction videos. And that is, I think that's the right way to do. That's what I like about Star Wars. You get a trailer, you can react to it, you can even monetize it because, let's face it, we put a lot of our time into basically promoting the movie. So, but there are certain franchises that really constantly claim their copyright. And so it means when they put a claim on your video, on your reaction video, they'll also display ads. And I have no control over that. And the the YouTuber gets, get, doesn't get revenue. Now, I don't care that much about YouTube revenue. It does create a little bit of an income stream, so it's not unimportant, but I'm a small YouTuber. so. But it feels greedy. It feels unnecessary. I mean, if you're talking about... So Warner does that a lot, and they, they also do it with The Matrix. So the first version that I uploaded, immediately before I even published it, got a copyright claim. Now, of course, it's not a copyright strike, so it won't terminate my channel. But um, I've heard from other YouTubers, if you've got a lot of copyright claims, you may actually incur a strike. And three strikes and you're out and your channel is gone. That happened to my very first YouTube channel. Completely not my fault. It's because I, I they uh, TV, on TV shows they showed my reaction to the Star Wars trailer, and then the TV company 
copyrighted their their YouTube video of that particular interview. And so I got copyright strikes and ultimately had to terminate my my uh, my channel. It was demonetized. And I hadn't uh, I was not to blame, but it's something that I've been very sensitive to. So once I noticed that Warner was putting a claim on on the reaction video for the matrix, I was like, okay, okay. What can I do? I first tried blurring the video. I removed the audio of the trailer. I still got copyright claims. So they they just do these hash they um they have a recognition system that looks at the audio but also apparently at the video so blurring didn't work removing the sound of the audio uh, of the audio of the trailer didn't work so ultimately i ended up segmenting it i did a reaction video which was immediately claimed by warner but that's just three minutes and then i did my own explanation my reaction which turned into a 40 minute uh commentary on the trailer um, and apparently, so far, so good. It's not been copy. Uh, there's no copyright claim yet. But I, they make it really hard on YouTubers, and we're just working for them. They should, they should be more lenient. Another franchise that I don't react to because of the same problem is Star Trek. I know there have been a number of of trailers for upcoming Star Trek series. Every time I do something with Star Trek, I get copyright claims, and then I'm like, okay, well. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm no longer going to do this. I love Star Trek. I'd love to talk more about Star Trek, but I'm not going to react to those trailers anymore because I don't like this greedy attitude. It's understandable, and maybe there are legal reasons for that, but it's just not making life... Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not worth the effort anymore for, for YouTubers. And I'm very grateful that Disney, even though Disney can also be very litigious, but that they at least give the Star Wars fan base uh, an opportunity to do these reaction videos without all the hassle. Because if the, you get a copyright claim, there are potential other problems that you get. So, yeah. Oh, well, that, that's not about... Let's talk about Matrix itself. Uh, well, if, if you want to know my thoughts about the trailer and my speculation about what this movie is going to be about, I refer you to my YouTube channel because I cannot possibly summarize what I took 40 minutes to, to explain... But I'm super excited, and I think they're, I think it's going to be really great, and and I'm I, I'm very impressed with what uh, with the way they're taking the story. Even though they could have just said, "Well, the story's over," you know, uh, it is a trilogy, and it has a a pretty definitive ending. But this this movie's called Resurrection, so hmm, definitely sounds like uh, they found a way out of their self chosen um ending uh interesting uh what else is going on um i haven't seen the new marvel movie i the about the 10 rings um i i'm still waiting to move into my new home but once i do i'll be just 10 minutes away and it's a 10 minute bike ride away from the nearest pate cinema multi multiplex uh movie theater um so i'm actually thinking of getting a new subscription again i used to have that when i was in amersfoort um but then i moved from the center of amersfoort to a, a small town on the edge of the city and and then i had to take like a, almost a, a half hour bike ride to go to the movie so i barely ever watched a movie uh because of the distance but now i'll be living 10 minutes away from a movie theater so i think it's worth it plus I'll be able to review all, all those movies that won't be premiering on um, uh, on Disney Plus or anywhere else. Even though, you know, sometimes I think that that the ultimate, ultimately, there will probably be a mix of this. Movies will premiere both online and in the movie theaters, and hopefully, that will not uh, bite each other. You know, it won't it won't interfere with the re the overall revenue. Um, but it's definitely the the lawsuit. Uh, between uh, Scarlett Johansson and, and Disney shows that this is unknown territory for uh, for both actors and for the movie companies. Um, but I think this is just part of the 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 pain of the transition. They'll figure it out. Uh, what matters to me is that they keep making movies, and not just television movies, but real cinematic movies. There there is a difference between watching a movie on a, even a big screen TV. And watching it in theater, 
And for instance, Star Wars, I would never want to see a, a Star Wars movie it just in my living room. It's the entire vibe of watching that with fellow Star Wars fans in a movie theater that I think it makes it worth the, the, the extra effort and maybe also the extra expense. So, um, once I've seen the Ten Rings movies, of course, I will review it here on the show, but it's time to move on to the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today I want to talk about miracles. Do they still happen? Are they real? Why are there miracles? Well, you're about to find out. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So, um, miracles have been part of our human storytelling for as long as humans exist, I guess. You see that in every single religion... um, our fairy, t- our fairy tales are filled with miraculous uh, moments and 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 things that are not supposed to be possible, but yet happen. Uh, even in a certain way, the whole Marvel empire is built on this concept that there are superheroes that can do miracles. We don't call them miracles, but it's the same idea. We we always long to have to tell stories about things that seem to transcend our our current possibilities and ha- and help us dream of something better um and this is this is a part of storytelling and it's part of history as well a lot of the uh, uh, of the sites that we visit during our vacations um usually are are built around miraculous stories and fantastical events and i love that i love that i I, as as much as i am very much pro science and i'm I'm, i I think that that science and religion have to go together hand in hand because there's only one truth and you can approach it uh, in a scientific way you can approach it philosophically uh theologically but it's all pointing to the same truth there are no two truths one is a religious truth and one is a scientific truth for a catholic that is nonsensical uh, you know, if if science proves something, then the, who am I as a religious person to say, well, my faith prohibits it? No, it's a fact. It's science. <laughs> so, um, but at the same time, I'm also very sensitive for um, the the idea that there is more than what is scientifically provable. And there are... Uh, things that happen that we cannot or maybe cannot yet explain. And there's always this caveat. There's always the possibility that maybe now we don't understand it, but maybe in the future we understand it. So that, for me, also applies to to miracle stories. Uh, when you read the Bible, it's full of miracles. And and they these miracles, miracles are in the Bible and also in the New Testament, the stories about Jesus, for a very specific reason. Those miracles are not just gratuitous magic tricks. This is not for entertainment. Miracles in the Bible always have a narrative function. They want to bring something across. If Jesus heals someone, for instance, someone who is blind or deaf or, or mute, he heals that person, that particular person, but at the same time, he shows that what he is coming to do is to liberate people, to heal them, to open their eyes and their heart and their mouth and their ears so they can hear God, they can see their neighbor. That is the bigger meaning of those miracles. When Jesus multiplies the bread, it's not just a magic trick, but it is, for him, a way to... To, to prepare his followers for the greatest gift that he's going to give them. And it's not just regular bread or, or loaves or fish, but it's his own body that he gives, and his own blood. This is my body, this is my blood. So it is preparing the hearts of the people in an almost educational way for the, for the gift of the Eucharist that he's going to give. So, And if you, if you take Catholics seriously... 
You would actually have to admit that we believe in miracles, even today. Every time we celebrate Mass, Catholics believe that the bread and the wine truly change into the body and blood of Christ. Not, not, not that you can see that it alt- you, you hold a piece of meat and, and, and all of a sudden the, the, the wine changes into you know, blood that you can put on a microscope. Um, but the, the, it is, this is not just a symbolic moment. It is a real presence of the body and blood of Christ himself. It's a miracle in a sense that we cannot explain that scientifically. We cannot even prove it because if you put it under a microscope, you do a chemical an- analysis. The what 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 uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas calls the attributes are still like bread and wine. It's just that the essence of what it is has changed. It is no longer. It, yes, it looks like bread. It looks like wine, but it is no longer the the physical reality that you that you may see. Um, now, of course, that is that pertains to the metaphysical domain. This is not something that you can prove or disprove scientifically. It's something that, uh, because of its transcendent nature, you have to believe or you don't believe it. That is what happens when Jesus talks about that. You know, this my 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 flesh is real uh, is really is real flesh, or my and my blood is real blood. So he, he, at one point he insists, "I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm not talking symbolically." And then people start to walk away. It's like this is ridiculous. How how can he say that? We don't we don't believe that anymore. And so that's always an option as well. So it pertains to the domain of faith, and that is what miracles. Um, that's why miracles are sometimes a challenge, you know, because, yeah, scientifically, there's not much to say about them, even though there are certain things that have happened that have been witnessed by scientists, um, have been examined by doctors. That This is one of the, I think, pretty convincing things that uh, happened around Lourdes, which is this French place of pilgrimage, where people have been healed uh, of, of things that seemingly were impossible to heal from. And um, a very, very small number of those healings have been uh, ultimately uh, been labeled by scientists, including non-religious people. This is not just Catholic pious uh, doctors are saying this, but they also have always uh, have uh, in these committees, you know, people that are completely atheist. Um, but they, they too say this, it's something we cannot, some, someone healed and we cannot explain it. There is no medical explanation for what happened. So then it's a, up to the church to label that as a miracle. Maybe a doctor will say, I, did, I just don't know. I, I don't know how this happened. And we won't call it a miracle because saying that something is a miracle is a pronouncement of faith, right? It's like, I believe that this is something that God did. So, but... Miracles also always, in at least in the Christian context, always have a, a secondary meaning, or maybe that's the primary meaning. It's not just about the individual miracle. It's about what does this tell us? What does God wants, want to explain to us? Now, let's, let me give you an example of uh, something that I heard when I was in France. So I was sitting in this small village on top of a volcanic rock, super spectacular. I mean, I, I wish I had taken my drone with me because you could do like super cool middle, middle earth type of, uh, of filming there. But anyway, in the village was a church, but the, the, the actual priest lived in a town uh, which was about, I'd say, a half hour walk from, from where I was. Maybe, no, a half hour run, actually. <laughs> um and it was uh, um, the parish. The, the parish priest lived next to a monastery, or actually inside a monastery. It used to be a monastery, um, and now is in use by the government. And part of it, there's also a, a church uh, that the monks used to use, and it's now the parish church. And he had told me when we met him that the church was dedicated to uh, La Vierge. Trouvé, which in English it means uh, the 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 virgin that was found. That's a weird name, right? 
normally would say the the most holy virgin mary mother of god or something like that or the our lady of peace or but no this is the 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 virgin that was found and he told us that this goes back to um a miraculous event that happened several centuries ago i don't exactly know what i i guess it's late middle ages maybe even early renaissance times um the monks were building the monastery and around the monastery of course there was a small town and because of the river it was quite prosperous and well there was life around the abbey as well one day two children were playing near the river and they that's where children used to play before video games right and they were uh, picking up these stones these rocks and they were uh, trying to break them and and create sparks because if you you know clash stones it makes sparks it was a little game that they were playing at one point the girl notices that that one of the rocks that she had broken in two contains on the inside a metal a, 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 a silver or metal tiny tiny metal it's smaller than an inch it's really really small and she couldn't really tell what was on it but she never she did not expect to find a a religious medal that she, she could tell it was a religious medal something you would wear around your neck it, on the inside of a stone so she brought it to the monks the monks examined it and saw that the metal actually had a, a depiction of the virgin mary on it so an, an image of of the virgin mary with a robe in that had multiple colors and so if you if you turned it there was there was this was not just a regular metal or anything it's something that not something that the children could have just found somewhere and then just made up the story this was something they had never seen before and the uh the what is it the 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 head of the monastery um saw it as a confirmation a heavenly confirmation that they did the right thing to come there to and to build the monastery. They had just finished the premises and the, and the building itself and the church. So they saw that as a divine confirmation or maybe the Virgin Mary would give them a special blessing, etc. So they started to talk to the people about this miraculous medal. They put it on display. People came to the church, started praying, and soon miracles started to happen, which they wrote down. This is not a unique story this is what happens a lot around these times in in all european countries you find similar stories it's a, it's a kind of a very classic genesis of um basically a place of pilgrimage so the more people are are witnessing uh miracles and that their prayers are heard and things unexplainable things start to happen the more people start to come to that town and pray at this medal Many centuries later, we have this parish priest. And he's not from that region. He's actually from the north. He's from Normandy. He was born and he was raised in a small town very close to where the Allied forces landed uh, when they started to liberate uh, Europe from the Nazis. So he, he has vivid memories of uh, the stories of, of uh, uh, the what his parents told, uh, told him about uh, the, the Second World War and everything. Um, he also lived very close to Lisieux, uh, or Lisieux, uh, which is the town um, that where uh, Saint Therese uh, lived and was, uh, and also died as a um, a Carmelite sister. So she was. He was very familiar with that spiritual had impacted him tremendously. But for multiple reasons he actually came with a community to the south of france to the Auvergne and became a, a, a priest there, a parish priest and he told me at first he was very uh almost embarrassed uh, by the by the whole story about the medal and uh he said when i first saw it i was like that's a children's story, you know, that, that that can't possibly be real. And it's, like, weird. It's not an apparition. There's no message. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's just probably just one of those medieval tales. It's just these monks just wanted to hype up their monastery. And he didn't believe it. He said, I, I just, it, 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 it did nothing to me. It's like one of those made-up stories. Very cynical. But he said, I've, cha- I've really changed my mind. I've really, I've witnessed a number of things 
that have completely changed my opinion about this, about what happened here. And of course, I was like, tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> what I, I was so eager to hear what made him change his mind. Because I'm also more the skeptical type of guy. I'm, I'm not very credulous when it comes to these things. And that's not a problem. I mean, you have to be, I think, uh, always um, skeptical in a certain way, in a good way. Um, you know, even even though in my Catholic faith there are many supernatural elements uh, and, and, and there's a lot that goes beyond what is provable by science, uh, but at the same time, I'm also enough of a, a theologian to know that um, I, I have to uh, believe that there is always a reason for these stories. There, there's more than just the scientifically inexplainable uh, fact. So th there's always a, f a function for for miracles, even though I may be a bit skeptical about the actual you know veracity of of, uh, of these stories. But in this case, I asked the priest, "So why have you changed your mind?" He said, two, two moments. One time." Uh, there was this school class that came to the church and there was this, uh, uh, it was not a Catholic school and there was this teacher and they were from another part of the country. And the teacher told, insisted that he tell, that he would tell the children the story of the, of the La Vierge Trouvée, of the virgin that was found. And, and he didn't know why the teacher was so adamant about that. So he told the story to the children and then the teacher sent the children away and he said to the priest i i can tell that you have difficulty believing that there are miracles happening here and then he said and then he started to cry which was like why are you crying and then the teacher said um if you don't believe these miracles i am one of those miracles and then he and then he he ran away and the priest is like wait what <laughs> say again and then afterwards he's like I, I still don't know exactly what this teacher meant but I could tell that this was very real for him and that he considered his life to be a direct result of what happened here that was the first eye-opening moment that was like oh there has to be more to to this miracle and to this story but then there was a second moment that was even more uh uh more convincing or more impactful. One day he enters the church. Church is always open and there are always people praying there in front of the church. And he sees this, this, uh, this woman in, uh, in the front of the church and she's crying. She's very upset. And uh, so he walks up to her and sits next to her. And, and when she keeps on crying, he asks her, what, what's going on? Uh, can, I, can I help? Can I listen? Can we just tell me what's what's going on and she tells him that her daughter has been in an accident and is now in a coma in the hospital and cannot communicate anymore and the doctors are saying this is this is the end she's not going to recover from this it was a very severe uh, life-threatening situation and the priest of course did not expect this story but after thinking a little bit, he's like, "Well, do you want me to pray for your daughter? Let should we should we entrust your daughter to la Vierge Trouvée, to the to the Virgin that is found? This is a place where Mary maybe can hear our prayers and let let's ask her to take care of your daughter." So that's what they do. They pray at that moment in the church to the Virgin. Uh, that is venerated in that place. It's the Virgin Mary. She, she, she's just venerated under a s specific title. There, it's, it's of course there are no, no there, there are not multiple versions of the Virgin Mary. So they 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 do that. They pray and, and ask the Virgin Mary to take care of the situation. The lady goes back home, and a while later, he gets a message from this lady that he met in the church. And she tells him on the phone that at the very moment 
that they were praying in the church there. At that exact moment, the daughter awoke from her coma in the hospital. And the doctors were there, and they noted the, the time that she awoke from, from the coma. And she was okay. And she completely healed, left the hospital. And it was the exact moment that they were praying at the church that the daughter awakens from the coma. For him, for this priest, that was like, okay, I have to change my attitude here. And he says, since that, since I changed my mind, um, I've seen many of these miracles. Uh, and, and it was almost as if I couldn't see them before, and now I see them all the time. And that, to me, was a, a great story that shows that these miracles are not just spectacular things that that, that are just there for our entertainment. They are there to, to let us know that when we pray, someone is listening, and that if it is God's plan, that he actually can hear your prayers and do something that no doctor could do, that no one can explain, but it's still happening, and it's tangible, and it's real because it was witnessed by the doctors in, 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 and nobody of course there knew that, 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 that these two people were praying in the church so it's little reminders miracles are not there to replace the gospel or the bible uh, they're not there for superstitious reasons they are there to confirm the stories that we read about in the bible where Jesus heals people he changes the future of people he saves them and that's not just something for bible stories it's happening today as well. And miracles can only happen if your heart is open for that miracle. Otherwise, God will never force a miracle upon people. But when people pray, that's when you open your heart. And then sometimes God will, he always answers your prayers, but not always in the way that we expect it to. But sometimes he will give us these moments where we, well, we have to conclude that we nobody can explain this. And I, as a Catholic priest, I, I see that this is a miracle. I, I label this as a miracle. Someone else may not go this far, but that's fine because it pertains to the domain of faith. You cannot quabble about, about scientific results. You cannot say the earth is round or the earth is flat at the same time. No, it's just science. These are facts. When it comes to the domain of faith, it's up to you. Do you believe this? Don't you believe it? What you can always ask for, what I always ask for is, can you find the message in this? Even if you don't believe the story itself, or, you, or, or you're too, I don't know, skeptic, skeptical, or, but can you at least see the value of this miracle, the, the, the message that this conveys? All right, let's move on. Time to talk about books. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night, the packet, the extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I've been reading a ton of books. Uh, if you follow me on Goodreads, which is just go to goodreads.com and search for Father Roderick and you can just follow me there. Um, I've been writing, I've been forcing myself to write reviews as well. Not just give it stars or say I've completed the book, but also write my thoughts because normally I've just read the book, so I've got some ideas about it. Um, one of the most impactful books um, and I've already mentioned this in, I think, in The Walk, one of my other shows, is the book Why We Sleep. That is definitely the most impactful book that I've read this year. It's written by Matthew Walker, who does a lot of uh, research about sleep. He's a neuroscientist, and he specialized in, in sleep. Why Do We Sleep? That's literally the title of the book. Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams. Well, that sounds a little bit too markety, but it is fact. Uh, um, it is what the book does. It explains you why we sleep, but also what sleep is and and what it does. And there's a lot of fascinating insight in what sleep does, which I had never heard before. And it has given me so much more... Um, so much more attention for the quality of my sleep. I would say... Even before eating healthy, this is now my number one health priority, is to get good sleep and to get enough sleep. And it has a tremendous impact on how I feel, on, on, on 
also not just my overall drowsiness or not, or, or physical health, but also my ability to think creatively, to find solutions for stuff, all that. Since I've been curating my sleep, a lot of these, th- these things have, have changed tremendously and improved tremendously. So I highly recommend you read this book, Why We Sleep, Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams. Um, then I also read a book about conspiracies, which was entertaining. It's written by Tom Cutler. It just came out. So it's pretty new. And, and it is a summary of all these, you know, popular conspiracy theories. Um, now, I'm not a conspiracy thinker at all. I'm very skeptical when it comes to all these conspiracy theor- theories. Um, and I'm also sometimes worried about how far some people will push this. Uh, we've all seen the damages of, of uh, Q- QAnon and that sort of stuff. So it's not just funny. It's, there's also definitely a danger to some of these conspiracy theories. I think this book does a very good job kind of showing you the genesis of these theories. It also shows you how oftentimes these stories have grown and evolved and changed over time. And, and just the way in, he, in which he describes it, which is well-researched, already usually gives you proof that this, it's, it's a conspiracy theory. This is, uh, this is not real. This, is <laughs> this has been debunked. So, um, so he, he, he does speak about it. Um, I think he does a good job. He doesn't really want to um, make fun of it. But, but a lot of these stories are fun in itself. Like there's this, this I, some people believe that the earth is hollow on the inside and that the core of the earth is like a sun. And, and people actually walk on the crust of the earth. They walk upside down. We walk on the outside of the earth and they walk on the inside of the earth. And the, the, <laughs> the Elvis and Michael Jackson and uh, who else? Uh, Paul McCartney. They are all, you know, there's sometimes these, 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 conspiracy are interlinked so paul mccartney the real paul mccartney has been murdered or is dead and then he's been replaced by whatever a clone and the real paul mccartney is still making music with michael jackson and elvis uh, on the inner world in that sort of stuff so a lot of that is like okay that's innocent but he also tackles the QAnon. Uh, uh, stories and and how that evolved and and I th- I think that that's actually the most interesting and most important part of the book because it's so still so relevant to many people and um, so definitely worth it. I also read um, uh, a diary uh, by Adam Kay. This is a British book. This is going to hurt. Secret Diaries of a Junior Doctor. It describes his life as a junior doctor, first few years. Of his uh, of his work life, this is. Mm, I'd say that don't read this if you're American. It's written in English, but it is very European. Um, it, it's going to be uh, disconcerting. The language is very, you know, it's like sometimes British TV. There's a lot of swearing. There's a lot of uh, ob- objectionable material, and and a lot of the stories are very graphic and just not very good taste. Um, uh, I have a heart and stomach because we're kind of used to <laughs> sometimes in in the UK they they tend to push it a little bit when it comes to language and 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 topics. Um, but I can totally picture a lot of my American friends being very upset by by the contents of this book. If you want to read more about uh, what I thought of this book, I'm I'm also pretty critical about some of the issues that he tackles. Um, go read my review, my full review on goodreads.com. We have to move on. The scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. Just a very, very brief scientific segment. Um, as you know, I'm fascinated by all the research that's been done on Mars right now, and I'm so glad to see that the second attempt to retrieve rock samples from the uh, surface of Mars has been successful. The first time was a was a miss because apparently the ground just pulverized. There was nothing that was captured in these containers. Now, what is super fascinating to me is that these containers are going to be stored inside the the rover, the Mars rover, for a future expedition to retrieve them. So they're going to bring these things back to Earth. I don't know how much time that's going to take maybe many years, maybe even decades. But I hope to see the day that these canisters are going to be 
brought back to Earth and can be examined. I, I find the whole concept of a machine digging up stuff that is later going to be sent by a, a, a spacecraft that hasn't even been made yet or conceived yet, that alone is fascinating to me. These are time capsules, like Martian time capsules that will be sent back to Earth. And maybe, maybe we'll get to see the result. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope so. Um, exciting times. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Yeah, there's one more thing I briefly want to mention here before wrapping up the show, and that is the tech news. And there are two topics that have really tickled my interest. The first one is the return of ABBA. Now, I'm from the generation that has has been brought up with ABBA. Um, most of you are were born right, long after uh, they were in their prime. But what is so fascinating about this, you all know the music, uh, and, 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 and this was music in the 70s and early 80s, and that, that was it. For 40 years, these people have not been performing together, but they are now back with a new album, two songs of which have just been published, and it's classic ABBA. It's so I think it's amazing that they've been able to recreate the sound. I, I mean, I was actually glad that they went for the total retro feel. The, the songs feel like they've been written by the same group and time has stood still. I think if they would have done something more experimental, people would have not liked it. So it's a, a bit of a concession. And yes, it, it feels like, oh, we're just going back in time as if, you know, there hasn't been no evolution. But this is the time of nostalgia, right? Everybody, Nobody's going to watch ABBA for their innovative music. They're going to watch ABBA because it's nostalgic and it makes them think back of their own youth. Um, and the other thing that they did, and this is why it's in the tech section, is that they're going to perform live on stage, but it's not them. In a certain way it is, but it's not. They have been working with ILM, of all people, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, the people that make, gave us all the special effects in Star Wars uh, and many other movies. Uh, and they've been motion capturing the existing group members. And they're going to use all that data to create digital avatars of the ABBA members in their prime. So they will look, they will be projected in a specially uh, built theater holographically. And that's been done before. Um but now it's going to be with the technique of, uh, of industrial light and magic. So these avatars, these digital avatars, look very realistic. And they're still based on the singing and the motion capture of the cast members. And it's going to be combined with a live band and with a light show that will make it three-dimensional. And there, there are a number of videos that you can find about this project. And... I was blown away by the ambition of this. This is something we've never seen before at this scale. Maybe in Japan they do stuff like that. With They have these even these virtual singers that don't really exist. Everything is generated by the computer. Their appearance, the holographic projections, and even their voices are basically completely digital. They're fabrications. That's not the same here. This is just a performance that is enhanced in a certain way. Um, but they're doing what we've already seen in, in a lot of the Marvel movies where they will de-age people. Uh, but now they do it for a, a concert performance. And I thought it's also a great way to let people experience ABBA the way they remember it. Um, and at the same time doing something in innovative and something new, something that, that is exciting. And of course, for them, it is so much easier. These, these people uh, were adults when I was still a child. So they're in their 70s, 60s, early 70s. I, I don't know. Uh, probably probably in their late 60s. I, I don't know. But definitely not the age for, uh, you know, a whole, like, uh, 40 live performances. 
Um, not to mention that, you know, just moving around, dancing, even singing. You can hear in the two songs that they've published so far that their voices still sound very, very much like ABBA, but they have aged. You can you can hear this sharp edge that you often get at that age. Um, and I think there must they must have also used quite a bit of uh, a trickery, audio trickery, to make it sound really like, like the ABBA that we know. But, um, yeah... I don't think that they would be able to to do a, a live concert that would be that would be on the level of expectation that people have that that were fans. So uh, I think it's a brilliant solution. I can't wait to see what the actual show will look like. I'll probably have to go to London to witness it. The second thing I wanted to briefly mention here, and I will talk about it uh, as, as soon as we get more information, is that Facebook is launching smart glasses in uh, conjunction with Ray-Ban. The glasses look great, but it's not AR. This is not like what Apple is rumored to be doing. By the way, uh, there's going to be an Apple event a few days from now, so next week I'll comment on that. But Apple is rumored to be also working on AR glasses that will uh, be like a a new product category. So you can bet that that is going to be worth your while. But... uh, but these Facebook glasses are just glorified, what actually glorified sunglasses. They just have microphones. They can, you can make calls. You can give voice commands to take a photo or, or take 30-second videos. And then two little lamps, lights will go on to show people that you're actually filming them. But it still sounds a bit creepy that people can just take photos with, with their glasses without people being aware of that. Um, so I'm, I'm not very impressed. I do like the look of the, of the glasses, though, and I hope that if Apple does something, that it's going to be as stylish because, you know, these Ray-Ban glasses, man in black, that's <laughs> the Matrix. We want to have cool sunglasses. That's never going to go out of fashion. So, so that's something I like about this, but the rest, the whole concept, I think it's a bit subpar, and I... I don't think this is going to work. And with that, we've come to the end of this show. Thank you so much for having joined me. And if you are a patron, you'll get to hear me another hour for my show. Father Roderick to the max. And this week I'll be talking about uh, uh, a skill that I'm trying to master with the help of my iPad. I'm trying to improve my handwriting. I'll tell you more how I do that in Father Roderick to the max. I'll have a French recipe for you for a very local recipe that I learned from one of the villagers in the Auvergne and it is amazing and it involves lentils which is not something I used to associate with amazing food but I have a recipe Uh, (laughs) talk a little bit more about uh, superheroes in 9-11 and about a new language that I'm learning also thanks to an app Uh, and then I'll talk about a survival game that I've been playing quite a bit lately, Stranded Deep, in which you're stranded on an island surrounded by sharks and you have to try to survive. It's a lot of fun. I'll talk about that and more in the this week's episode of Father Roderick to the Max, available to all my patrons over at patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Have a great week. We'll talk soon.